Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. I've got two fabulous guests this week. Uh, they were a crime-fighting duo. And now they're a, a crime-writing duo. Please welcome back the ever-popular R.C. Bridgestock. And he, on the other side of the room, is literally um, an omnivorous literary autodidact. I'm so pleased I got through that. <laughs> it's Latoya. for you to say. Dean Baxter. <laughs> Dean Baxter. What do we have here? Oh, we've got an endorsement from Liam. Thank you very much for sending this on, Liam. Hey, Emily, that's not me. That's uh, our submissions manager, the fabulous Emily, actually, who, like everybody who works behind the scenes, really does amazing work. Total gratitude to Emily and everybody else, Rachel and Kate and so on. Um, hey, Emily, just tuned in, in to watch the replay. I was all geared up, says Liam, to watch, but my wife went into labour. Pop-up submissions can do that sometimes. Be careful. Um, over the weekend, and I'm now a daddy. Sorry I couldn't tune in. You've got a good excuse. So pleased I won, but equally so frustrated as in the very next paragraph, something massive happens. Something massive has already happened, I think, Liam. Good advice, though. Pleased I won. We are delighted you won. Now we have a public service announcement. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. Yeah, we have live huddles every Saturday. Um, great fun they are too. Can't tell you anything about them more than that because it's very confidential what happens. Except, of course, yesterday we did have something I enormously enjoyed and I understand quite a few people did as well who joined us, which was our first life seminar about the blurb. And um, I think that went off really well thanks to everybody who, who came along and participated. And it, uh, a version of it, not the actual event, but a version of it will actually be available for the watching in about 10 days, two weeks, something like that. Let's get straight on with our first submission. I'm excited to tell you it's The Doll Tree by A.B. Khan. It's speculative noir, psychological gothic, horror. Hmm. Should appeal to R.C. Bridgetalk, I think. Um, and this is A.B. Khan's blurb. Frances Anderson, 20, is a rising star, a cellist who believes her dead mother, Cleora, is trying to make her mad. Successful psychoanalyst John Cashel, 50, thinks he can help. He believes that ghosts are not dead people, but manifestations of emotional trauma. In this gothic fiction, best described as The Sixth Sense meets The Virgin Suicides, with a dash of The Haunting of Hill House, to save Francis, John Cashel must first uncover the terrifying significance of the doll tree. Let me tell you about A.B. Let me move myself a bit there. A little bit of tweaking to do, I think, behind the scenes after the seminar yesterday. Um, I'm an award-winning journalist, previously represented by the late Giles Gordon. Very famous literary agent. I believe Giles actually was literary agent to Prince Charles. 
So you're in very good company, A.B. Um, I'm from a biracial background, Indian, Pakistani and white Scottish. I live in the second last inhabited house at the top of Ireland. That's very romantic, isn't it? Gosh, very definitely Jim Morier. Um, the, the country where this, my debut fiction novel, is set. I have three cats with FIV. I think that's feline immunovirus, isn't it? Very good of you to do, to look after them. And I sing jazz. I do not currently have an online profile because for the last five years I've been recovering from cancer. As a journalist and broadcaster, I am, of course, qualified to work on all publicity. That's good to hear. Even better to hear, I think, will be the reading from Lex. The Daltry by A.B. Kahn, read by Lex. The life of the dead is placed in the memory of the living. Marcus Tullius Cicero. Prologue. Her five-year-old baby daughter, Frances, was asleep in the castle nursery. When Cleora stole the doll from the cradle, she hid it within her caramel cape and hastened into the castle grounds of Minadurha, to the doll tree, where she hung it by the head using kitchen string. It had been an uneasy hanging. The dolls belonging to Norma, Millie, and herself had been smoothly executed many years before and now blossomed blackly with age and mold. The northerly winds were strong that morning, and, after she had secured the neck, when she stood back to watch how the Atlantic gale animated the three other older dolls, its predatory jostling of their rigid little bodies, Cleora noticed that despite the noose and the negligible weight, Frances' doll seemed a little stubborn, and during the blast, did not move. Then, under the low branches, Cleora heard that eternal conversation as the doll tree remembered her, over twenty years before, when she, Cleora, had been playing alone on a red blanket with the precious doll she had just christened Frances, and her mother, Norma, had brought over a man. What is this girl's name, he had asked of the doll. Who is she? This is Frances, Cleora had said. She is mine, all mine to love. Would you like to give her a kiss? Why don't you give the gentleman a kiss instead, Cleora, Norma had said. After all, we walked all the way from the castle to see you. Cleora pulled her cape around her. She had accepted Mina Durha's purpose. The teenage mother felt oddly regretful that her daughter's doll had to be sacrificed too. She had done her duty. Yet Cleora hoped, perhaps, that history would not repeat itself. That it would not root. Chapter 1 After Cleora Anderson killed herself, John Cashel took delivery of a shoebox. The doll inside was as straight as a body in a coffin. The label on the cream lacy skirt said, Francis. The doll had an odor. It smelled of sea salt and algae, of gelatinous fronds on dry-baked rocks. He closed it over, resealed the tape, and put it out of sight in his desk drawer, just as his practice partner, Frank Fossard, dropped into place a sympathetic hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry I had to break the news, he said. You know you can't go to the funeral. I told you at the time nothing happened between Francis and I, said John Cashel. Nothing. When did you last see or speak to her, asked Frank Fossard. He tied his hands behind his back, stared at the city view. We have not been in contact for many years, said John Cashel. He glanced uneasily at the desk drawer. How old would Cleora's daughter be now, asked Frank Fossard. Twenty, said John Cashel. And that's why you want to go to Mrs. Anderson's funeral. You hope to see Francis again, asked Frank Fossard. No, not at all. It's an opportunity. There will be grieving people there I can study, said John Cashel. Frank Fossard shook his head. Both men acknowledged the conversation, which needed to take place, 
under the Victorian Ouija board, which John Cashel had encased in glass and hung on the wall. So you liked my gift after all, said Frank Fossard. I've read up on your theory. They were great men, Arthur Conan Doyle, Alfred Russell Wallace, an esteemed intellectual and a scientist, no less, who believed in an afterlife. But we are not Victorians playing parlor games, are we, John? They thought life after death was possible, said John Cashel. As far as your antique goes, I cover it over when I have a client. No one in need of reasons to live wants a counselor who finds the deceased more interesting. But you do, said Frank Fossard. You've been spotted, my friend, stealing through the night like Mr. Hyde. Sometimes I work late, said John Cashel. I had a sleepwalker. Not the sort of work you can do during the day. All right. So I'd say, uh, AB, you've got a... Hundreds, hundreds are backing, I think, in the genius room. And they're never wrong. That's the interesting thing. That's probably why they're geniuses. Uh, Johnny says, great style. Eva says, I'm hooked. Eva doesn't always say that. <laughs> Rarely says that, but she's saying it about that, about uh, your writing. Kaylee says, type polished writing. Hannah's giving the, the numbers. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, Galadriel, really liking this. Vagabond does too. Hooks galore, says Kate. And I'm just looking for Annie. Annie says, I'm sold. I want to read this book right now. You can't get much better than that. That's not what Dean thinks. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Um, starting with the title, um, I think the title, I think as a package, it really works. The title um, was creepy, and, and as soon as I saw it and I saw the, the blurb, I was thinking, yeah, you know, this does sound good. Um, and it does sound like it's going to be, you know, a good creepy horror. And it actually mm. lived up to it. Um, wasn't sure if it was going to, but it did. The writing it was very atmospheric. It's very it is atmospheric. Yeah, I thought that too. I've written yeah, that down. Yeah. yeah. And quite efficient as well, I think. I mean, I think the, the mistake I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of us sort of amateur writers make is, you know, is, is it, they kind of um, perhaps overdo it a bit. But I think it's very efficiently written, uh, very engaging. Um, hmm. Yeah, not too much I can fault it for really at all. I, I think um, out of the categories, um, probably the weakest part of it for me was the blurb. Although there wasn't much wrong with that. Yeah. It was just a little bit. I think it was just a little bit clunky, but um, yeah, but not too bad. And, and they referenced yeah. other work as well, which I think is a good thing to do in the blurb. It kind of Definitely. gives the, yeah. the yeah the, the reader an idea. It of positions what, what it, doesn't they're it? Looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Um, but yeah, all in all, very impressed with it. Yeah. All right, that's a very good start from you, Dean. But. Let's see. The Ever Realists, Bob and Carol. Oh, actually, look at that. You can yes. see your numbers. So, actually, you're not going to say anything nasty, are you? No, no absolutely oh. loved it. I thought it was very tightly written, chilling, enjoying, engaging, uh, lots of hooks. Mm. I love the hooks. You can go anywhere with those hooks, can't you, really? You can. Um, yeah. 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 And like somebody said, I want to read more. I, personally, I was nicely surprised. And the title, The Doll Tree, great. Then we hear about the doll, and there's so many other things using dolls, as we all know, the films, etc. Yeah. I'm just worried to start with thinking, is this going to be yet another, you know, a follow-on from the Chuckies of this world, etc. But do yes. you know what? Uh, I got it's well written, like everybody said. It flowed particularly well, uh, and I and I enjoyed it. So I would certainly read more with this one. 
Fantastic. Well, that's, that's, that's an absolutely stunning start, actually. Um, whoops. <laughs> uh, you can tell I've been pressing different buttons over the past day or two. I didn't really intend to, to push that one, but why not? So actually, no surprise for you to learn there, AB, especially read by Lex, that you are in the lead because you're the only one we've actually seen so far. Uh, let's look at the overall numbers, though. You're looking very good with a 79. Now that... If you know, if, if you've been watching pop-ups for a few weeks now, you'll know that 79 is a very good score indeed. Actually, um, I'm probably the lowest marker. In fact, um, I, I I found it a bit of a curious egg. Bits of it I thought were very atmospheric, and other bits I'm not. I'm not. I'm just a bit weird using the 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 full names of both characters. Um, that adds to the strangeness, definitely, but I'm not sure it helps us get totally embedded in in the manuscript. But that's a mere quibble. You've got great votes from everybody else there, so heck, you know, you're in the lead, mate. <laughs> Straight on, I think, to our second submission of the day. This is The Journeyer, his fantasy, and it's from Benjamin. This is Benjamin's blurb. When Nye tears a void in the Arcadian sky, Guy and his stained-glass dragon comrade... That's... going to read that again, because I like that. Stained-glass dragon comrade. Gimchi begin a pilgrimage for the origin of magic in order to stop her and heal the planet. As a former cryptologist for the Peacekeepers Guild, Guy is able to find secrets about the origin of magic hidden in ubiquitous bonfire stories about ancient essences. Despite scepticism from their sensei, Guy and Gimchi scour the globe for these stories in attempt to manifest the ancient's power before the apocalypse. Feels quite manga to me. I don't know if it, the reading will be. Um, stop who? Yeah, I, I, I did a double take on that. I know it's stop nigh. That's who it is. N A E. It's that, that's who it's to stop. But I, I also had that reaction actually. Good Um Here's a bio from Benjamin. As for myself, I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy. He says and economics and a master's in English. I'm currently a full-time college instructor. I write because I fell in love with the craft and the fantastic characters of my world that would never forgive me if I let them become stagnant. I know what you mean. Normal people don't. <laughs> well, that's why normal people aren't writers. Uh, speaking of which, we have a, an extremely unusually uh, abnormally good reading here from John. The Journeyer by Benjamin Dudley Read by John The Pilgrimage of the Origin of Magic Forward. He was meaning and she was devoid, yin and yang. She pulled him towards the violent light and he pulled her towards the peaceful dark. They struggled back and forth. It was the way of things. Two opposing forces stuck in a cycle of suffering until the day each could find a new balance, until the day they were reborn. But would that day ever come? Chapter 1 Bonfire Stories The woman gone wrong flew northeast, crossing in front of the sky void. The journeyman did not follow because he had his own path to walk, the path that led to the bonfire stories. Despite his determination to keep moving, he paused to appreciate the dark beauty of the void. <laughs> 
It brewed an invisible cauldron in the night sky, resembling a broken glass star, half-melted, ready to be served for a lethal quaff. The journeyman imagined it sliding down his throat. Despite the disorder that the void had impregnated in his mind, he no longer stopped himself from staring at it. He wanted to lose his name, to forget. The last few weeks had been spent walking against the wind and wisdom, leaving the past behind, but here he could not ignore the wind. Here the wind carried the smell of rot, and the rot juggled his memory. Guy lifted his head to trace the scent, taking note of the great vines that stretched into the night sky like tentacles grabbing at the moon. He had made it to the gardens. In this verdant part of the world, even the smaller vines twisted thick and long as winding water slides. The longer ones, known as nav vines, towered tall and wide at the buildings that broke the clouds. He peered into the darkness and wondered where all the farmers were. He should have run into them by now. Damned moon shadow. A nearby navine trunk stretched and yawned. Guy shot it a cautionary glance. It rose over him at an unnerving angle and he lost his footing, tripping on a rock. He paused. The stone was surrounded by brittle, nutrient-deprived soil. Contrary to this, the gardens of his youth covered over a hundred square miles of fertile land, and even in the downtime there would have been seedlings out this far south, or at least freshly tilled earth. Perhaps they are rotating the crops. He nodded at his thought, but then investigated further. No farmers, no signs of farms. Reaching in between his backpack and neck, he silently unsheathed his sword. The gardens were a tourist attraction, a place for religious ceremonies and seasonal celebrations, and the global centre of agricultural life. The smell of rot returned, but more pungent this time. Usually the ground here was covered in a healthy knee-deep mud, but his boots were drier than bone. The wind changed. Guy twitched as if to catch an assassin in the moving shadow. Nobody there. Instead he was saturated with a thick, warm waft of decay. He shrunk in disgust, wiping his watering eyes in the crook of his elbow. The shadows cast from the vines shifted out of the way of the moonlight. He froze and dropped his sword. The vines were diseased, the whole garden of them. No longer were they towering nav vines, vivid greens and purples. No longer were their skins smooth and thorns sharp. They were pale and shriveled. He squinted and blinked, hoping it was a trick of the light, but he just saw more clearly. The nav vines were blighted with a greyish-blue fuzzy fungi, their fruit fallen, bruised, their leaves brown and deteriorating. The soil beneath his feet was parched. He knew that the gravity of the sky sickness had begun to cause the planet's climate to shift. But a drought in the gardens, the world's food supply? He cursed the demon woman who had brought the void. A hopeful light glowed from his chest, exactly as emerald as his eyes. He sighed. Tucked safely underneath his combat vest was the reason for his journey. A weapon for the nearing void in the sky. Its opposite. The only problem was that the weapon was incomplete, missing pieces, hence the journey. So, well worth uh, spending a few moments with the genius room, I think. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm picking on two particular reactions here that I think kind of sums it up, actually. Um, and, um, well, let's go for three. Galadriel says, lyrical and leisurely. I kind of like it. And he says, the imagery is lovely. But then Vagabond Heart says, um, lots of words aren't really saying enough. And th th there is that kind of that split, really, I think, in, in the genius room. Well, not really a split. I mean, they're, they're kind of saying the same thing. Um, Martin says, poetic and sensual. 
Johnny, our narrator, well worth listening to the narrator's reaction because they get inside it in a different way to anyone else. This was very poetic, but confusing too. And I think, I think we're kind of getting that message. And Cora says, the writing's lovely, needs direction. Yeah, yeah. And Hannah says, nice writing, beginning to get lost in world-building exposition. Bob and Carol, bring some common sense to this, please. Um, I thought it was swamped in detail, um, quite complex for me. Um, like you say, lovely writing, um, feeling of a movie really, because it, you know, yeah. everything was explained so yeah. direct. Um, but I, I, I agree, I was getting a bit swamped in all the yeah. detail and, um, you know, of it. So I'd go back and read it again if I was reading it from the beginning as a book. Because yeah. I, I feel as though there was so much in there that I needed yeah. to digest again. Yeah, I was waiting. I mean, like you say, some some great descriptions, some great clarity of the, the vines, etc. But I was waiting for something. I was waiting mm. for something more to happen. This is, you know, this is seven hundred words as we tell people it's got mm. to grip you. Yeah. And I was waiting. Uh, I liked the style, and I was still waiting. And at the end, I was still waiting. Yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah. like a lot of people, perhaps, whilst it was nice and engaging a little bit, it didn't mm. take me anywhere. Yeah. It didn't take me anywhere, and I, w I think I would have put it down. I yeah, thought, well, that's, no, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? If you, don't, if you don't get hooked any minute now, then you're not going to read on. You're not going to turn that page. Thank you very much, Bob and Carol. Let's have a look at your numbers. Um, you've given some good numbers on that, though. Actually, bang, hundred percent for that. That's that's pretty good. Uh, craft eighty percent. So, um, yes. What? Yeah. Uh, what? No, no, we got, I've got a little domestic d disagreement here. Yeah, have she, we? she up the, no, she up the bang. She up the bang at the end. You up the bang? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I, I didn't give it that much, but obviously we disagreed. <laughs> Let's just watch them fight it out, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair don't enough. Miss, don't miss next week's episode. <laughs> ah, let's see what you well, thought, Dave. still be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a very similar place um, in that I very much enjoyed the writing. Um, Benjamin can obviously write very well. Hmm. Um, and... I mean, I, I kind of I like the uh, the comment from Gladwell about being lyrical and leisurely. I, I completely yeah. agree with that. It's yeah. very nice. But again, as as Bob and and as, and as others said in the chat room, it, there wasn't really enough of a story developing to, to to hold my interest. And I was in exactly the same position where, towards the end of that piece, I was you, yeah. you, they were losing me. Yeah. I was kind of tuning out a little bit. Um, yeah. Again, partly because we've not had like a a, 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 a major incident yet. Um, but also, again, because it's a bit confusing, a little bit muddled, and there's a lot going on mm. there. Mm. Um, so maybe have a look at that. Maybe a bit of an edit, change things around a bit. Um, I mean, obviously, don't. I mean, don't give up. Of course, because again, it's lovely <laughs> writing there. I just, yeah, it. I think well, it just needs uh, a little Benjamin's bit. Benjamin's not going to give up. We know he's not no. going to give up because he's he's told us he he's got those characters out there. Keep on saying, come on, Benjamin, you, you can do it. You can do it. Um, I agree um, with you. I'm I'm not getting as as involved as I need to with this actually. 
I mean, I mean everything yeah. everyone all the nice things everyone said people pretty much agree it's great use of language very poetical there's clearly a world going on there that's you know that Benjamin's very familiar with but I'm just not rooting in it I'm not getting that emotional grounding in it I'm not investing in it to the extent that I need to which is why personally I've given I've given it two stars for bang let's see how the number's looking still Benjamin you got a 60 so far uh, probably one or two more votes to come in on the genius room but that's not bad at all actually it's not bad and um I'm wondering if this show, actually, because if you remember last month, do you remember August? We had five shows in August, and the first show was just a towering success. I mean, it was just hit after hit after hit, and I'm wondering if we're going to repeat the pattern. It's entirely possible that we will. Let's have a look and, um, and see what our third submission is. And it's from Jeff North. It's YA post-apocalyptic fiction, I assume. Hopefully not fact. That's got to be fiction. And the QR code there too. Oh yes, we haven't had one yet. QR code so you can scan that, go off to whichever recondite. I love that word. Uh, corner of the internet that Jeff wants you to go to. And this is called Dirty Hope. This is part of a trilogy, book one, in the City of the Last trilogy. And this is Jeff's blurb. Dirty Hope, Mist Road, and Long Spit, nice, are just a few of the brutally impoverished towns competing in the City of the Last's Admission Championship. There'll be dozens more, sending combatants into the bloody pit. Be the final fighter standing, kill everyone else, and your town will be disbanded, its entire population granted citizenship into the last. Gun, a peaceful young dreamer from Dirty Hope, reluctantly begins training. Because peaceful dreamers don't last long outside the last's walls. Let me tell you about Jeff. Um, I've done a bit of everything. Uh, that's good writer's background already, actually. Not even finished the first <laughs> sentence. Good writer's background. <laughs> Ranging from political cartoonist to warehouse work, my professional career has taken a Benjamin Buttons route. Every job gets more physically demanding as the years pass. Yeah, and I get paid less. <laughs> well, stop complaining, come on. Uh, <laughs> we'll end up working for Amazon, really, won't we? Uh, through it all, I've been writing in some manner or other. I've self-published more than a dozen novels, compiled a few short story collections and maintained sanity by keeping my senses half-frozen in godforsaken Winnipeg probably quite a great place to be at the moment i'm suspecting buying old comic novels uh books off ebay helps too horror suspense and fantasy are my favorite reads and writes and this city of the last trilogy is what happens when the hunger games are left to starve i quite like that and i'm sure i'm more than going to quite like the reading by our by the other jeff jeff sullivan Dirty Hope by Jeff. Read by Jeff. Chapter 1. Fenn drove the rest of his thumb into the man's eye socket. The man wailed, and Fenn yelled louder to the boy, Don't look if you don't got the stomach for it. This here is mild compared to one might face in the city of the last. I got the stomach, Gunn replied, swallowing hard. Even during combat, Fenn didn't miss a thing. The old warrior had seen him wince, probably saw the small gag he'd made too. I just ain't never seen anyone poke another mine in the eye while fighting. Awful dirty if you ask me. No one asked you, 
then pushed away from his opponent with lightning speed, pulling the screen man's eye with him. He tossed the bloody orb down at Gunn's feet. Fingers, thumbs and toes are champion's best weapons. There's no such thing as a dirty fight. Anything goes. Clutch his ball with a knee. Rip his throat out with your teeth. So long as you left, you win. Fenn circled his opponent on his half-blinded side while he lectured the young trainee. The man swung both arms wildly. He staggered forward, backwards, from side to side, attempting to connect with the sounds of the voice. Fenn, at least twice his age, was too quick. He kicked out, lifting the fighter's leg up at knee. The man fell, cursing. You've bested him, Gun yelled, fidgeting uncomfortably on the big rock where he sat at the pit's edge. Leave him be! Ben stepped on one of the man's flailing arms and pinned the other to the ground as he sat on his chest. The lesson hasn't finished. You're going to kill him, Gun protested. That ain't allowed. I won't kill him. Ben dislocated the man's arm at the shoulder and dug into the other eye. The man made a feeble moan as Ben tore it out. But he's of no more use to us. His fighting days are over. Gun pulled the rifle hanging from his back and pointed at Ben's head. Stop torturing him. You won't shoot me. Then climbed up from the man. We both know there aren't any bullets in that thing. Then I'll beat you with it. I'll have it shoved halfway up your arse before you make another threat like that. Gunkers had defend his words. He looked down at the eyeball on the ground. It was staring at him. Covered partially in a dirty film of sand. The other eye lay a few feet away. A twist of purpley veins trailing in it. Gun slung the rifle back over his shoulder. Wise decision. You may have what it takes to be a fighter after all. I'm a coward. Cowards don't last for long in a ring. Cowardice is a branch of survival. Cowardice stems from fear, and fears will help you alive to fight another fight. If the challenger is stronger than you, if he's faster, a better combatant, then you must be more cunning. Cunning pulls on everything inside you. Cunning draws you from your fear. It makes up for what you lack in. Shut the fuck up. Gun snaps still gazing down at the eyeball. I've had enough combat wisdom from one day. I want to go home. Ben nodded, reached into the back pocket and pulled out a piece of cloth. He wrapped it gently around the opponent's head, covering the bleeding eye sockets, and secured it with a loose knot over one ear. Come along, brood. Our young trainee here says he's had enough. Let's get you boxed up back in town. Fixed up? The blind man repeated. You bust my arm. Rip my eyes out of my head. Finish me, break my necks and let me drop. You never fight again but there may be some worth to your continued existence. I ain't worth nothing no more, Brood whimpers. You can set an example to the better warriors. I'll see you at the edge of the pit and let the other fighters see what becomes of the losers. Then shrugs cheerfully and clapped Brute between the shoulders. You'll be an inspiration, he glared at Gun, even if my son doesn't agree. Right, so let's look at the wisdom of the, uh, the genius room. Uh, Hannah's feeling a bit sick. <laughs> Sorry about that, Hannah. Uh, that, was a, that was a great pun somewhere, actually, that I saw coming in. Oh, yeah. dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, I can't see it there. Maybe I can see it here. Yeah, Galadriel says, engaging opening socket to them. See? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like me a good gouging myself. What do you think, Dean? Um... Well, I'd like to I'll start. I'll start with the good news. I did like the title. I thought okay. the title was brilliant, actually. Yeah. Dirty Hope. I think that's really cool. Um, well, I mean, we have to mention the Hunger Games. I think. I think that came. We do. Yeah, we got to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, too similar. I don't know. Um, but 
once we actually got into the writing itself, the, write, the writing was good enough, but um, I mean, I don't know if it's just me. I, I, I don't know if it's a bit much for YA. I know it was a little, bit, a little well, bit too graphic. No, you're the not writing. the only person to say that. Uh, one or two people in the junior room have, have questioned that too. I mean, yeah. YA does tend to break quite a lot of taboos, actually. That's one of the, the beauties of YA sometimes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just it's kind of like, he's, there's, there's a bit where he, he threatens to shove a gun up his ass. Um, he does. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm being Quentin Tarantino goes know. YA. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing as well is I found that some of the... Um, I, I found some of the dialogue was a little bit cheesy. and I, They kind of came across a bit like Dickensian chimney sweeps a bit. Like, yeah. Yeah, awful dirty, yeah. if you ask me, governor. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think that... Yeah. You've got to watch that a bit. I think um, it's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit cheesy in places. Um, yeah, I don't think people actually talk like that. I know this is kind of in a different world, I guess. You know, um, where perhaps yeah. people are a bit more peasanty, but yeah. It, it's it, um. What about this YA thing? Kaylee says story direction is the big question mark for me. Making this original and distinctive to the Hunger Games. Um, Johnny says I'm I'm getting no sense of why this is happening or who we're meant to be rooting for. Anchor of violence goes on a bit too long. Get on with the story. Um, yeah, Hannah says with the yeah. firearms in the story, maybe don't call the protagonist gun. How close is gun to Katniss? How close is the story? And, you know, if it's not close enough to Sue, then maybe there is a commercial reason for saying, well, you know, if you like The Hunger Games, you're going to love this. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think what the, you- the thing is with The Hunger Games is, is um, in Katniss, she's a very reluctant um hero isn't she yeah yeah i mean i don't know i don't know how the story's going to develop but these guys we're watching at the minute they just seem like a couple of nasty characters who are torturing somebody they totally do yes (laughs) i don't know whether they're the main whether they're the good guys or whether they're the main protagonist yet but um you know it it doesn't you're not engaging with those characters because they just seem like is it maybe maybe it's just me in in my sort of uh, in my dotage as an agent who's possibly seen too many submissions but i think there's quite a lot of black humor here or am i the only one who's kind of kind of smirking a bit i mean bob and Kara, what do you think i i was smiling because like you say i picked up on uh, martin r said eye catching and i was smiling but graphics yes. i've dealt with I've, I've actually dealt with people that's lost eyes and oh you've dealt with gougings ah. like, uh, oh. and things like that so oh. to me whilst whilst it is brutal it would turn some people off it didn't with me uh i just trying to understand the person that was being attacked why he was being attacked was it just a pawn you know uh, to train gun uh, yeah, on yeah, why? Why so. was it so? But it did. It did go on a bit too long. But having said that, uh, reality, I know mm. it's fiction, but I mm. mean the detail does get a bit graphic and a bit gratuitous. And like people Maybe said, a bit too for much. YA, it's a little bit too much. Maybe a bit too. But much. like I say, you smile at some of the comments and some of the dialogue. But yeah, yeah. I think I think well done, Jeff. That was a great reading. <laughs> Definitely. Um, very, yeah. I thought it was, um, yeah, it was a bit brutal for me, to be honest. Certainly um, not Mary Poppins, was it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, it's I not Mary Poppins. No, it's not. <laughs> no, 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 it's not, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, protagonist gun. 
you know. Um, I thought yeah. it was quite engaging, you know, especially the opening was very engaging. Imaginative, oh, so, compelling, yeah. intriguing, you know. Yeah. All them things came to mind and, and obviously I wrote them down. So, yeah, yeah. intriguing premise. I think the thing for me is that it, it, it is, I mean, you could say it's a marketing uh, plus point as long as you're not going to get sued by the uh, owners of the company. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's kind of a marketing plus point if it's in that sort of area, definitely, because, you know, Hunger Games readers are now, what, five, ten years older than they were and maybe looking for something else to read. Um, but that by itself isn't quite strong enough hook. I need, I don't know if anyone should be talking about hooks and gouging in the same sentence, but um, <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's, it, I'm, I'm not quite getting that hook at the moment, quite. Let's have a look at the, um, the numbers so far. 66, not bad. This is turning into a pretty good show, actually, 66 so far. Um, Genius Room is going... They like the title a lot. They like the title and kind of half and half about the commercial appeal, which is the bang, of course. Um, I've gone slightly higher than them for the commercial appeal. And I, I just I just want to come back to you, Bob and Carol, because you've given you've given it 100 percent commercial appeal. That was uh, which, Bob. <laughs> that was Bob. <laughs> that was Bob. I, I think people, sadly, sadly, people like violence. Uh, and society is quite violent and people like violence so especially when you if, can read it like that if, if people read it and yeah. get engaged with that yeah. then people I think that you yeah. know you will get a certain group of people that will yeah. like this and I think the one thing about this is that you listened you read and it caught your attention whether you That's liked right. it or That's didn't right. That's right. Yeah. and it depends yeah. if it just continues to be graphic violence mm. then it's a, it's a, a total turn off but I think mm. it would go to the next page you want to see so. how the story pans out we, you know we know it's going to be violent but yeah. you know violence is only part of the story hopefully fair enough fair enough uh, that's so, okay yeah well who but knows viol sadly violence sells you know like yeah, I, I, I mean we don't know sometimes. we don't know what's in Jeff's mind it might be 300 pages of gouging I don't know <laughs> but well hopefully there's a bit of yeah. story as well <laughs> I don't know um yeah okay, I mean, careful what gunny buys exactly exactly uh I tell you what um because we're lucky enough to have Bob and Carol with us today um, we, we want to talk to them about crime writing in a minute. Our next submission, as it happens, um, is uh, is very crime orientated. So what I suggest is, this is our fourth submission of the day. I suggest we do that, uh, submission number four, and then we'll come and talk to Bob and Carol about crime. Here we are, submission number four. It's from Becky. Hello, Becky. Hope you're with us today. If you are, just um, give us a wave on YouTube. You can just... We're, we're monitoring the comments on there. If anyone says only on YouTube, interesting. Well, it's not that interesting, really. Well, uh, we'll stick it up on the screen, definitely. Um, so let us know if you're watching. Upmarket Historical. This is A Respectable Sin, is Becky's title. And this is Becky's blurb. Lizzie, a charitable spinster, must fit in. A lady of station leaves her father's home for her husband's, so, nearing 30, she's still living in her childhood home. When an Irish girl begins service for her family, a forbidden friendship sparks, and the mistress and her maid soon share an alarming secret. But as lies are exposed and motives surface, Lizzie finds herself in a dire dilemma. Scandal is transpiring behind the closed doors of 92 Second Street, and it will forever change this town. 
Italia about Becky. Title sounds Bronte's. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, I've won a few Writers' Conference Award. Awards, says Becky. Been a top seven finalist on NYC's Write Idol. Published a handful of short stories, one of which became an episode on the show Haunting Season. And uh, been a script supervisor on an indie film. That's a good experience at all. I'm licensed in criminal investigation. And been a script supervisor on an indie film. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> licensed in criminal investigation, giving me a unique insight into crime. But still, somehow, it appears to be a card-carrying bad girl apologist. In my daily life, I'm just a doting cat mom to three blind rescue kitties. Oh, goodness, a lot of um, people are very nice to, to cats on, on the show today. You're good people. And a history nerd addicted to true crime podcasts. I began my obsessive research on this book after viewing a programme about an infamous, cri infamous crime that failed to notice a detail that I feel changes the case. Come to find out, history missed the detail too. This is not your mother's Lizzie Borden. And this is not your mum's reading because it's by Barbara. A Respectable Sin by Becky Rush. Read by Barbara. Chapter 1. 11.45am, Thursday, August 4th, 1892. Is blood underneath my fingernails? I couldn't get a minute alone to check. Police scattered, pacing the floral carpet, sweat trickling their whiskers. Their blue coats were dusty from the streets and soured with body odour. Male voices muddled in these compact rooms like we are underwater. It's like I'm floating, my mind a balloon with a pen-prick deflating outside of my body. Today is hot and strange, blurring around me like rain blurring a window pane. Today has been coming for a long time. Next to me on the lounge... Alice reached to loosen my buttons. Are you faint, Lizzie? No, I refused her hands, my stomach a ball of wormy nerves. I'm not faint. My neighbour Adelaide buzzed around like a frantic mosquito fanning me. Maggie stood rigid as a broomstick, tucked into the corner, hands clasped in front of her skirt, the maid ever ready to serve. Crowds gathered outside, clogging Second Street and trampling the grass as our house creaked and moaned under the weight of reporters and curious strangers. I'd expected the police officer. I hadn't expected all of this. Balling my hands in my lap, I hid my fingernails. Miss Bowden, an officer said, impatiently tapping the pencil on his notepad. My name sounded odd coming from him. I realise this is a shock, but if you could answer my questions... Alice patted my face with a cool compress and I pulled into posture. I'd anticipated the questions, but the answers weren't coming. Yes, sir, of course. Did your father have any enemies? Anyone you've seen around the house? His words floated off, lost to my fog. The sitting room door was open behind him. Father was in there, dead on the bloody sofa. His favourite sofa. Blood splatters glared off the white parlour door, red, accusing making me feel naked. I'd rather be at the kitchen table where my sister and I took coffee every morning. Father never liked that. I loosened my itchy collar, wet, heat, suffocating. Am I the only one nauseated by the blood? It's wafting like sticky mist, caking my nostril, coating my throat. Blood is copper on my tongue. I taste it. Adelaide is fanning and Alice cooling, but the policeman is standing too close. The dining room isn't equipped for this many people. 
someone should open the window. I half expected father to walk in and toss his Providence journal on the table, demanding to know why these people were interrupting dinner. If he did, I'd hug his neck and tell him I love him. I'm sorry I didn't want this. I never wanted this. Miss Bowden, the officer still standing too close, cleared his throat. Do you know of anyone who would want to hurt your father? Chapter 2 Fall River November 1889 I plodded downstairs to the clink of cutlery and uncomfortable silence in the dining room. Father dropped his fork in punctuation as I entered, pulling my chair out without meeting his eye. Emma's untouched eggs congealed yellow next to her untouched Johnny cakes. She hated breakfast too. You realise you haven't eaten breakfast with the family in more than a week? Andrew, my stepmother palmed his age-spotted hand. Let the girl alone. The disappointment in father's voice strained my chest. We used to go fishing, up before dawn preparing lines and sinkers, minding not to forget the worms. Always the tomboy to Emma's indoor introvert. Father favoured me for nature outings. My stepmother Abby packed picnic baskets of roast beef on wheat, cress and cheese with lemonade and a sugary surprise of jam puffs or fruit turnovers. Jerry was father's favourite. He was daddy then. I'll be on time tomorrow, I said sentimental. I promise. Excuse me! Emma shoved up, tossing her napkin. Her cold exit hushed us, though I don't know why. We were used to it. She'd have words for me later. Family meals went sour two years ago, disagreeable silence taking the place of nonchalant weather talk, recipes and whatever the Irish neighbours were up to. We never recovered, no matter how Abby tried. Emma won't have it, and father not the one for idle chatter. This is, this is where the numbers are right now. And the, um, the good news is that AB Khan is looking good so far. You can see the numbers changing in front of your very eyes. Let's look at those, those numbers on the scoreboard now. That's 59 at the moment, but as the Genius Room votes, that number will change. It can go up, it can go down as well. It just went down. All right. <laughs> That's because more people have voted in the, in the Genius Room with slightly lower than the people who previously voted, but it can change again. It can change again. Let's go to Bob and Carol as the experts here. I really loved it. You loved it. Look at that. Look at that. I loved oh, it. Oh my goodness. I oh my goodness. Loved it. Um, oh, you've variety. you've gone you've gone 100% across the board. You can't get better than that. That's extraordinary. All right. No. Explain, explain, explain. Tell us what's going on. Explain because she she changed it from me. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved it. Um I loved it. it was lovely writing. I loved the um sense of place, the bu- blood copper on my tongue um i could imagine it i could taste it i could feel it i could sense it she can write can this woman (laughs) it was just lovely it really Mm. i really loved it the only thing that i would change and this is so nitpicky is i really love the title 92 second street i like that as a title yeah yeah. I think you know yeah. that would yeah. that that to me is just it could be a TV yeah. series it it just yeah I yeah, just it absolutely be, it? loved it yeah I yeah. want to read more so the Lizzie Borden thing is confusing me a little bit. I think it's confusing the genius room a little bit too. Is what is this? Is this a sequel, parallel universe, or what? I'm not quite sure, and that's not explained in the in the blurb. Um, but um, Dean, is this the sort of thing you would kind of read for escapism, maybe? 
Well, not necessarily. Um, but having said that, um, I am with Carol, and I did, I did really love it. I, I, I think, mm. um, yeah, I, I haven't really got any much I can complain about. Um, I actually like the, the title, Respectable Sin. I think it, I think yeah, it's, it's right too. for this yeah. piece of work. I think it's right for the genre. Um, and again, with the blurb, I thought, I thought the blurb was interesting. Um, again, the general setup is familiar. It's, it's of the genre, but again, we had, we did have some, uh, some intrigue there. Um, I thought we had a brilliant opening line. Um, is this, is this blood underneath my fingernails? I thought that was really great. Yeah. Drew me straight in. Yeah. Um, and from, from the, from the outset, we had, we had jeopardy, we had mystery. We we're straight into a story. Um, and we had some lovely writing. So yeah, I'd say, yeah, well done to Becky. I, I, I can't really fault it. Well, that's obvious from the numbers you've given there, actually, which is uh, pretty damn good. Um, yeah, and again, and again, especially saying that it's not really my wheelhouse, you know, it's, it, it wouldn't be my go-to kind of thing, but yeah. um, I, I think she's done a great job. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's look again at the uh, the overall score, though. 83. Becky, people don't normally get 83. High 70s is very, very good on this, on this show. 83 is... Hey, hey, that's very interesting. Respectable sin does sound like erotica a bit, actually. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You never so know. What, We've only read the first bit. One wonders what constitutes a respectable sin in this day and age, for heaven's sake. Yes, I wonder. Um, yeah, and uh, what else can we say? Uh, I just want to have a look and see what Barbara said, because Barbara gave a stockingly good reading there. Um, and she says simply, I like this a lot. She liked this a lot. Mm. And she certainly made it come alive. Nice sense of oppression in the room, says Hannah. Yeah, that's right. All those good things. Let's go back and see if the numbers have changed. 83, still 83. Becky, you're doing really well there. Incredibly well. Uh, we have one more submission. But before that, I actually do want to talk to Bob and Carol. If that's okay with you. Okay with you? Yes? Let's talk. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to flash this on the screen, which is your latest and I don't know, greatest, but equally great. Look, there it is. It's for sale <laughs> in the states, Barnes and Noble. You can't get a better deal than that. Two ninety nine. Click, and it's on your nook. Nook it and click it. Click it and nook it. Um, this is persecution. This is in your Charlie Mann series. Tell us what that is. Yeah, Charlie Mann is um, a girl from um, Huddersfield. She's brought up on a farm. She believes in the hobgoblins. Um, she's um, she's a, a fighter. She's had to fight all her life. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she's had not a rough upbringing. She's had a good upbringing, but she's had to, you know, her grandparents were farmers and it, it's been tough. Um, and yeah, and she, she's now the DI um, of Huddersfield, of Peel Street mm. Police Station. Yeah. And, you know, from a policeman's point of view, obviously, Charlie's so different because she does um, believe in other things. She has got the belief in the, the old stories that her grandparents uh, mm. told her, the Yorkshire mm. folklore. And so we bring, we bring to it the Yorkshire folklore, we bring to it you know her, oh, her she's she's just different you know yeah. she's, she's yeah. different from people with yeah she dismisses she dismisses nothing in her investigations yeah. she dismiss, dismisses yeah. nothing yeah. uh she's quite rugged when she deals with some people because basically it's still the majority is still a man's world yeah uh, and she finds it quite hard 
uh, of the approach of some of her male colleagues. So she yes. deals with it in a, a yeah. robust manner. What, we're talking about male chauvinist Yorkshiremen, are we here? No, 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 not too many of them. Not in yeah. Yorkshire. Uh, so, just for those who don't, just for those who don't know, and, and there can't be many left, really. But Bob and Carol, uh, serious consultants, script consultants for uh, enormously successful BAFTA award-winning drama on BBC Happy Valley, uh, Scott and Bailey, a whole series with uh, uh, another protagonist, D.I. Ch- uh, Jack Dylan. How many books have you done? Have you written? We're only 13 at the moment. We've actually got 12 published with public with uh, persecution. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, we've just done The Beast Must Die. We've just been consultants on oh, the, wow, um, really? the really? Beast Must on Die. Brickbox, wow. and, we're doing a, and we're doing a follow-up yeah. with that one. Uh, not the same storyline, of course. But, yeah, uh, working again. Yeah. So the, the I'm I'm reading a lot, a lot of very, very light escapist stuff at the moment because I think I think people are. I'm in solipsism coming here. I just think lock, lockdown and post lockdown or whatever it is we're in. I just think people want escapism. Really, kind of light reading, entertaining. I'm reading a lot of classic stuff. I, Agatha Christie, Raymond Chandler, even. Um, so how different? Because you, you are the guys who know this, because you've written the fiction, but you live the life as well. So how different is the, the life from the fiction? Um, <laughs> well, the fiction's a lot easier, because you can make things happen a lot quicker. But the humour's yeah, the yeah. same. You know, in every walk of life, there's got to be humour. Usually in emergency services, such as the police, uh, etc., the, yeah. the humour's quite dark. But without it, uh, you know, it become a... A really dull, boring plod. Yeah, you know, yeah, pardon the yeah. pun there, but it would be. Uh, and yeah. life isn't like that, and you can't allow yourself to be drawn into the sadness. So yeah, things have yeah. got to move at pace. Fiction, you can make things happen so much quickly. Yeah, if, yeah. I mean, if you uh, if you wrote it as it was, I mean, it's all paper. Yeah. It's all yeah. form filling uh, in paper. But, and but in reality, <laughs> around. that's, that's around not very exciting. Yeah. No, yeah. but we like to move things forward at pace, and there's always human in there, and there's the sadness in there. But you don't want you want your readership to be there. You want them to be confident. We look at it from the point of view, they want to smile at certain things that you read and you want to take a deep breath at other things. And it's that kind of thing. But coming back to your question, what's the difference? The Mm. only difference is you can make things happen so much quicker because without fact, without fact, you'd struggle with a lot of the fiction. So let, let's say you're talking right now to um, writers who are kind of interested in writing about crime, but they haven't got the same background that you, you two people have got, which is an amazing background, actually. We discussed that in previous shows. What, what's the best advice you can give to an aspiring crime writer? Well, we, Do your research. Yeah, I'm going to say, when you read crime, there's so many people reading crime, and TV's full of crime. To, you need to know what you're writing is accurate. You know, yeah. procedures got to be. We, we, you know, pride ourselves on police procedure, and it's got to be right because yeah. if it isn't, you know, you get to a page and somebody said, "Oh, well, that won't happen." We get yeah. numerous emails from people that watch TV shows just saying, "Sorry to bother you, but could that really happen? Would it really yeah. happen?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes the answer is yes, and other times, in you know, <laughs> with the strangest fiction and the fantasy, <laughs> all the fantasy in the world, no, it wouldn't. But yeah. You know, don't let it spoil the story. So the thing about it is, it's like anything you do. 
the research is so, so important. Mm. You can go visit police stations, you can go visit courthouses. Mm. You know, if, you know, to, you can't write about a mortuary or what happens at a post-mortem, really, unless mm. you've been one or watched Gotta a be. film Gotta about do it. post-mortem. Gotta do or it. So yeah. you need to have that ability. And yeah. like you say, from our point of view, we have... The, it sounds sad, but from that point of view, you know, I've spent numerous hours in a mortuary, you know, days, months even. But you, you know, it's it's being able to then talk through the emotions of that. What do they smell like? What can... do they smell like? Well, it's a unique smell, absolute unique. Well, you know, it's like smelling cannabis for the first time. You know, if you know, you can walk past people like you do, lad. If something mm. goes. Go, put that car window up, will you? you we're getting a blast here, but yeah. it, it's a unique smell, and, it, and it's blood, and it's and it's flesh, hmm. and, it, and it's almost rotting meat, r- rotting, oh. and, rotting and, it, and it clings. And it, the Not going for vegans, is, <laughs> no, it, but yeah. it clings to you. I know plenty of people that police officers that having been to one post mortem, uh, never ate meat, have never eaten meat to this day uh, from oh. that. That would Fortunately, I was a butcher. Personally, yes. <laughs> well, I was a butcher in former life, and in former life, I was a butcher. So, really, you know, I've always really, meat. I've always eaten meat, and I've, you wow. know, I've never found it and too th- gruesome. And I think, and I think know, that's I probably, I think that's probably gave him the grounding because if, if yeah. any of the children ever hurt, ever cut the knee, it would have was you're yeah. <laughs> yeah. like cat's damn blood. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we can go into a post. Just, just one, one more question about uh, just one more question about the way the police have changed, and the, well, basically since you know your your whole career in the police and these days there's the impression that they're being more politicized than they they used to be that they they're being asked to to do things that a lot of the public don't agree with anymore and there's got to be this thing called policing by consent hasn't there do you think that's that's real or just imaginary no it's real and you've got to look at the numbers it's like in any walk of life numbers have been cut the resources have been cut they're trying to streamline resources to look at you know, at one yeah. time, you all, you've always had major crime. You've always had, you know, international criminals. You've always had units to deal with these. Mm. But you can't suddenly take everything away. You know, they've stopped what used to be road traffic, and now we have road policing, yeah. and it's a different approach. And people have, have seen the interceptors. What happened to the local Bobby? Yeah. Is it for the yeah. better? It's, it isn't. It isn't no, because, I don't think it is. you know, I can, th- I can go back. 30, 40 years, and the community policeman knew everybody on that street, and people will tell you that everybody knew everybody on the street. They knew the yeah. wife beaters, they yeah. knew the drinkers, they knew the burglars. Everybody knew everybody, and suddenly you don't see people now. And it's it's, mm. it's what used to be termed fire brigade policing. In other words, instant response, deal with it. And mm. police office now cannot get to every every crime that happens, and that's not good. No, you know that is not. not good at all in, no. uh, for the community that people live in. Um, mm. You know, officers put their lives on the line daily mm. and do the best. Mm. And you know, they're the brunt of everything sometimes. And and I don't just mean police officers. We've seen it at the hospitals. We've seen it at fire brigades. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. Getting this, so it's it's difficult. And politics mm. plays a big part, and it shouldn't. Mm. Here, here. Uh, Vagabond says, I went to a police station to ask to see an evidence bag as research for an art project. Also spent a day with a gravedigger. Loves me a bit of research. Very, very good example there, Vagabond. Um, final question. Police, uh, public servants or servants of the Crown? There's a difference. Public servants. Yeah. 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 
public servants. Public, public servants. servants. Yeah, yeah. Every everything, uh, t- true police officers. Everything right. they do is for the victim. For the victim, yeah. Everything they do is for the victim, and and yeah. they feel hurt when this victim doesn't get the sentence they deserve. Yeah, uh, they feel just as a as a family, yeah. if that's possible. Yeah. So like Bob said, you know, going to a courtroom, because I went into a courtroom only a couple of years ago to a mm. trial that Bob was actually giving evidence in. 17 and years later. 17 <laughs> years later. And it really opened my eyes. Go and sit in a courtroom. Yeah. Go yeah. and, you know, the, the, yeah. we, I had policemen around me grabbing my chairs waiting for the verdict. Shake, you wow. know, they were wow. as wound up yeah. as... You can't, you can't capture that. You can't yeah. even begin to think what that, that feels like research. until it's there. That is good research for a okay. writer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is to go into the public gallery when a murder trial starts and sit there all the way through. Yeah, yeah uh, and just see what they they will pick up yeah. a vast amount of information. And, and yeah. obviously, you're actually in the waiting rooms outside. You're with the police officers. You could even talk. Yeah. You know, you could talk to somebody. People watching. Um, yeah, and people watching. Great, absolutely great, great. Fabulous. Um, this yeah. is why we love Bob and Carol. They come on and they give they give so much, so much of themselves. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. You're but welcome. we like to be on. One more thing, one more thing to do before we finally dismiss you, which is to look at the fifth submission of the day. And here it is. It's from Lucia, uh, Lucia, Lucia Caste. Women's commercial fiction. And it's called The Star of the Winds. And this is Lucia. I was going to call you Lucia, is that right? This is Lucia's blurb. How can you keep the man you love alive when he's already cheated death for the last 500 years? years. In 1500s Europe, people believed that while a curse could prevent a dead person from gaining eternal rest, some action by their one true love could finally bring them peace. But is that still true today? Can the beloved opt not to bring the restless spirit peace? Rachel is desperate to know. The Star of the Winds is the love story of a modern girl and a 16th century Genoese navigator. Let me tell you about Lucia, a British journalist who has worked on both newspapers and women's magazines. During her career, she's written everything from horoscopes and problem page letters, answers. You've written the letters, haven't you? That's interesting. Okay, I often wonder if that, if that really happened. It clearly <laughs> does. Uh, to news features and specialist business and technical articles. She's also published non-fiction books. Well, let's see if this is going to be another arrow in your quiver, Lucia. Um, and we'll give it a best possible launch with a fabulous reading by Martin. The Star of the Winds by Lucia Caste. Liguria, Italy, 1503. The man in the studded leather jerkin gave a start as the long shadow fell across the page on which he was working. From from under his table came a single low growl. Steady, Mistoffele, he muttered very quietly. The shadow resolved itself into the figure of a tall man in costly clothes and fine riding boots. I see you have still not acquired a door, Rodrigo, he observed. I find this room very small and mean for a fine sea captain. A door would much improve it. The man at the table put down his quill, sighing. He shrugged. 
I had originally told the Fagal army to wait until he had a handsome piece of wood to make the door. But now there is little urgency, for I have not the money. He opened his hands wide, with a wry expression, turning in his chair to look more directly at his visitor. As he did so, he noted, in flagrant contravention of the laws forbidding any but noblemen to carry swords, this man wore, at his left hip, a flashily hilted weapon. Framed behind the man's shoulder, he saw a second, thicker set man. The tall man observed the direction of Rodrigo's glance. His haughty expression did not change. To what do I owe the unexpected pleasure of a visit from two of my most esteemed relatives? Rodrigo asked. His words were perfectly civil, but his smile was strained. The taller man leaned his lower back against one side of the door frame, then casually raised one booted foot against the other side. This completely blocked Rodrigo's exit. A steady growling began from beneath the table. Oh, Rodrigo? Indeed, owing is greatly germane to our discussion here. Esteem? Less so. He leaned forward, clasping both hands about his raised knee. This allowed his short velvet cape to fall back, revealing the matching hilt of a dagger at his right. Where have you hidden the treasure, Rodrigo? He looked up, startled. The tall man sounded unemotional, but his eyes had a manic gleam. You will give us what, us what you owe us, you perdifious cur, or you will die. Northern Italy, present day. The metallic clunk came from the woods above them and to their left. Unmistakable, Lucas Carter thought, a gun being cocked. He had heard it often enough, but he still felt that same chill on the back of his neck. His pretty companion hadn't blinked, though her bright smile with its hint of sexual promise hadn't wavered. She couldn't have missed the sound. Now, in that instant, he was certain, convinced Tatjana was a double-crosser. She was leading him into an ambush. Lucas smiled and laid a hand on her shoulder. As he kicked her feet from under her and they both hit the ground, he heard three bullets in rapid succession fly over their heads. I put my pen aside and took a pull of my mineral water. I considered what I'd just written. I'll need an expert to check that with, I thought. Does the kind of gun that fires off a burst of bullets make that sort of noise when it's cocked? Does it even need to be cocked? I must find someone who knows, because this book has to be polished off very soon. I felt a touch on my elbow. Richard Shenfield, my boss, was pointing out of the window of the plane. Look, Rachel, the Alps! The captain's voice repeated this, and many of the passengers, except the regulars on the Heathrow-Milan route, stretched to peer at the striking aerial views of the snow-clad mountains. Nearly there, Richard said, turning quickly for a last flick through his papers for our coming meeting. Anything you want to discuss before we get to Milan? Any more teasing hints about the next Lucas Carter? Bloodlust? I do like that title. That I can take to the book fair. I don't think so, Richard. But let me just jot down something quickly for my final revision of Blood Money. I've thought of a better way for Lucas to find out that Tatiana is betraying him. 
So we've got pronunciation guide there too, which actually is really useful if you're going to send us anything, including your own name, actually, to be honest, um, that could trip somebody up, especially me. Uh, please, please do give us a pronunciation guide. It's really, really helpful. Let's, um, oh, uh, there's, there's a domestic dispute going on here with Bob and Carol. Let's listen in. <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, still, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're 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 of a mind. All right, we'll come back come back to the genius room. Eva says needs more sharpness. Wasn't really happening for Hannah. Punctuation issues for Galadriel Vagabond doesn't know who I'm rooting for, who I'm supposed to be sympathising with. We've got a comment from Martin, who of course is our great narrator. Uh, engaging, slick writing. I thought it was too actually. I enjoyed this. He says. Uh, and that says something, of course, because you read it, with a kind of dynamism to the plot. So, um, I, I love time slips too. One or two people have mentioned that this is a time slip type thing. I love time slip. Um, I've got issues with the blurb. I didn't quite understand it, actually. Whether you're trying to keep your lover alive or give him a peaceful death or something, I didn't quite get that. And I think you're very brave, Lucia, to start off three times, actually. What did you think, Dean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think you've got to be careful with that. I think it's, it's, it's that kind of thing where she's almost tricking, tricking the reader, where we kind of yeah. get this false start. Um, it's, it was, it was, I mean, it, I agree that um, whoever said that the writing was slick, and uh, you know, we were straight in with some action there, um, which was which was great, you know. But then again, we got kind of had this thing where, oh, actually, that's just somebody write, writing a story. I know. And then we were kind yeah. of introduced to Rachel yeah. um, towards the end, who, who presumably is the actual. I think so. But we didn't really yeah. care about her at this point because we we was already kind of yeah. we were kind of invested in these other characters and this sort of thing going on. Yeah. Um so I do kind of take a bit of issue with that. But but again, having said that, writing was really nice. Um and I, I think it might just be a case of, of just moving things around a bit, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. Um but yeah. I, I think it's got commercial appeal. I think the blurb was good. Um you know, the title's good. Um I think there's a market for it. Um yeah. I just wasn't quite sold on the yeah. the story. I as it couldn't is. agree more. Uh, I think Vagabond has just summed it up. They said jumped around too much for me to find my, find my feet on it. I think you know you are effectively starting this three times actually. And Dean felt a little bit tricked. I did too um, about that. And I think you know if you can do it, it's absolute bravura. You know it's stuff. It's amazing writing if you if you can start a start something three times in the first seven hundred words and you carry it off. I mean that's real calling card writing. But it's a hell of a challenge to say yourself. What did you think, Bob and Carol? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I've got down slick writing, um, and um, straight away though, when somebody takes, says time slips, I, I go straight into Diane Gambledon and the Outlander series. Yeah, so I'm like yeah. almost expecting that yeah. to happen. Yeah, totally. Um, and like you're saying, starting it three times, it was a little bit. Um, yeah, mm. it was interesting, but I don't think she quite pulled it off. No. Um, but um, but yeah. Yeah, I'd read yeah. on, but um, yeah. There's a lot there, but I think well, it's like Dean said, it's, is it just right? There's something yeah, There's something that just doesn't, it doesn't gel properly for me. Mm. Yeah. You know, whether it's that, you know, Rachel coming, we find out later, whether it's that, I'm not sure. But there was yeah. something that I was trying to, you know, I like the title, I like the blurb, uh, and I like the writing. It just mm. didn't seem to... Yeah. Whether it was just a time slip that threw me a little bit, or I, I think did, there was it. just something that just didn't seem to. Yeah. It wasn't as slick. Yeah. Uh, I think and it's I like that more. But like Carl said, I think you'd read on just to yeah. find out where it went, and hopefully, 
you know yeah. it, it's there yeah definitely there's you know um, the story's good and it's there so yeah. I agree. I think it's the structure, actually. I think I think there's a lot to like about this. There's a lot to like, uh, like about Lu- uh, Lucia's writing, but it's. It, I think the structure at the moment is working against itself. Um, anything more from... Annie says, interesting, love writers are main characters. I like that too, actually. Yeah, I like that. But it felt a bit disconnected, and I think that's the structure working against itself. Let's, let's see how the numbers are we're looking there. 67, not bad. Um, I think... Everyone's everyone likes the craft there. Um, let's just see. Yeah, the Dean is giving. The, he loves the title. I think a lot. Most people like the title actually. But yeah, I think I think we're all pretty much united on that. That the three beginnings is not maybe doing yourself justice on that. You could score much higher if you just unravel that. I think a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in practical terms? That means we've got a show winner. Um, who is <laughs> oh, let's, let's work it out here let's work it out yeah so AB Khan has got 78 Benjamin Benjamin Dudley's got 60 all very good scores it has turned into a great show first month of the show is always a great show well based on two months at least um, Dirty Hope by Jeff, 66, pretty good. Women's commercial fiction that we've just seen from uh, Lucia, Lucia, 67, but, but Becky has totally stormed ahead there. Look at those four green columns there. Best title, best blur, best craft, and best bang gives you, Becky, an 83. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? I think everybody likes it when we have a high-scoring show, and it's certainly been that today. Um, and, uh, well, uh, Becky, I mean, you could be the month's winner with that sort of score. You you really could be. We won't know for another three shows. Maybe there'll be another writer next week who will get 84. We don't know. It happened last month. Just one point in it. Um, I want to say thank you so much for everyone who's helped today. Kate. Emily, Rachel, everybody behind the scenes, our great narrators, Bob and Carol, aren't they fabulous guests? Thank you so much for giving of your wonderful time and advice, and Dean as well. Most of all, thank you, writers, for doing what you do. The world would be a poorer place without you. Guys, we'll see you again. See you on, on Saturday, actually, for a huddle. Yes, it's been two weeks. Huddle on Saturday. Pop up submissions live next Sunday. Oh. I'm